So, we're in John chapter 6, and we're continuing today our look at the precious blood of Jesus. And you know, the blood should actually feature, and I, I would argue, all our sermons, all our messages. We should be singing it, we should be praising God for it, we should be mentioning it all the time. And so all that we do is based on blood because we are covenant people and covenant means uh, to cut uh, the flesh that blood may flow. So all covenants, really looking at it in the Bible in that respect, uh, the old covenant, the new covenant, it's all about a blood covenant, okay? And uh, there's some wonderful teaching out there, books and so on. I've been using uh, this book, This Blood's For You, by a guy called Tommy Combs, who's a friend of mine from... Alabama, and um, he's, he's been over here, and, and uh, it's a wonderful book, but I'm, I'm going to sort of go off uh, course a wee bit today, not really use the book as much, or, or as such, should I say, because I want to look at something I feel the Lord showed me, uh, which of course we saw in a reading, which is uh, something that happened in Jesus' ministry, a particular time where, um, as we'll see, his teaching became too much. And sometimes, as a preacher, you find that your preaching can be too much. Jesus said in verse 47 of John chapter 6, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Okay? Now that's fine. Then he says, I am that bread of life. Uh, and everything's going well so far. You know, sometimes you have meetings and you say stuff that people like and they clap, they get happy and they clap and clappy. And then they say, oh yes, praise God. And they dance around and they get the tambourines out. Amen. Uh, and so everybody's happy. But then sometimes God gives us a challenging message. And that's what I want to look at here because sometimes the blood of Jesus is not always something that people get happy about. And Christians will get happy singing about the blood have you been to Jesus? Would you be free? All of that. We like singing all those old blood choruses, blood hymns. But then we begin to see what Jesus was really saying, that there's a price to be paid for following him. There's a price to be paid for being washed in the blood. Now, the price to us is free in terms of salvation, redemption, all of these things. But to walk with him, it's different from receiving his, him as Saviour and Lord, isn't it? We, we have to have a walk with him, and he requires, and so we're going to look at this anyway. It says, he says, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. He's saying that they ate, they ate food that came from heaven. They ate food that came from God. Uh, miracle food, we'd call it. And um, he says, but they're dead. They died. Eating manna, they're, they're dead. They're dead. Although they ate food that came from above. But he's contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant. Because manna was wonderful. Who would have liked to have eaten manna? Amen. That would have been fun, wouldn't it? Getting up in the morning, you don't have to cook, ladies. Or gents, if, you're cook, if you cook. The manna was there, it's ready. I think they still cooked it, did they? Not sure. Anyway, but it was there fresh to eat. And they didn't have to go hunt it. They didn't have to go to Tesco because there was no Tesco in the wilderness. Amen. So, and, and 
they didn't have to, to buy it. They didn't have to pay for it. But he said, they ate manna and they're dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. What bread? His bread. Him. The bread of life. And maybe so far they're all going, yes, amen, glory, glory, glory. They're clapping, they're banging and bashing the timbrels. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And right there he lost a whole bunch of people. Right there he lost lots of folks. Because when he's talking, I'm the bread of life, and we can say that, oh, Jesus is the bread of life. But so far, there's no cost. You think, well, Jesus is just there teaching them, and that's the, that's the bread. He's, he's giving them the word. Everything's great. They're eating of that bread. They're taking his words. Love one another. Uh, love thy neighbor. Um, you know, blessed are the poor. For they, he's, Everybody's going, oh, this is wonderful. We've never heard a guy like this. I could eat this bread all day. Because as long as Jesus is a wise teacher, as long as Jesus is giving us parables and insights and lovely little nuggets of truth, everything's great. And we're saying, yes, this is the bread of life. But then he says something controversial, especially to those folks back there, who were living under the old covenant and whose sins were covered by animals. He says, I need to give my flesh. My flesh is the very bread of life. And all of a sudden, it goes to a whole new level. And one of the things I'm hearing from the Lord in recent times is, are we ready to go to a different level? Are we ready to go deeper? Are we ready to go further or higher or whatever the metaphor you would choose is? Are we just going to stay where we are? Or are we going to go deeper and higher and further? Then it, it look, look what it, this little statement. I, I, the bread that I will give is my flesh. In other words, they're enjoying his teaching. They can accept he's the bread of life. But he says, but I have to give my very body. My flesh. Now, glad that Agnes isn't here right now because she would be giving me a hard time, but I've got a sore finger. I had a wee, uh, but you know, you get a wee bit of skin on the side of your nail. So, what did I do? I yanked it, and that was fine. So, we bit so, oh, that's sore. But then it got all infected, so my finger looks like something from The Walking Dead. Looked like a zombie in my finger. And it's been sore. Try to put a poultice on it, but the best thing is air. But you don't realise how precious your flesh is till you do something that hurts it, do you? And I'm, you know, I know I'm just crying about a sore finger, but, but our bodies are precious to us, aren't they? The preciousness of flesh, because, you know, if you took away all your skin, your flesh, all you'd see is all the organs and all the horrible stuff, yeah? Thank God we've all got skin that covers it up, amen? So, but he says, no, I need to give my flesh. My flesh needs to be given. And as we know, we've looked at it. In order for that blood to flow, Jesus' body had to go through horrific torture, crucifixion, but before that, whipped at the whipping post till his body was just ripped wide open and organs were showing all that type of thing. 
That's, that was a Roman whipping. You see, and, then, and so all of a sudden, what's a nice, happy Pentecostal meeting becomes, oh, wait a minute. What's going on here? This is a wee bit more serious than we would like to think. So there it says, the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because to them, the notion of human sacrifice was abhorrent. And it was, it was in the law, you, 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 don't, you don't sacrifice human beings. That's what the pagans did. That's what the, the heathen nations did. And so they're not happy with us. And, and rightly so, in a sense. Because they're good law-abiding uh, Pharisees, Jews, you know. So Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you. In other words, listen, this is really, verily, verily means beyond serious. Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, I, I, I'm actually regretting now that we didn't actually have communion this morning because this, this feeds into the communion message and, and we'll do that we'll do that soon. Because that's what he's talking about. They didn't know that. They didn't know that. Okay? He's talking about that, sure, but he's talking about something far deeper. What he's saying is, is that in order for him to be bread of life to us, he has to die. His flesh has to die. He has to be dead. His body has to be completely destroyed in, 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 in a sense of crucifixion. The life, all the life, the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. All of that blood has to be drained from him at the whipping post and at the cross. And he says, Who, whoever eats my flesh, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Folks, when they heard that, they were horrified. The very notion of drinking human blood, I mean, even to us, we recoil, don't we? Because it's like something at a uh, hammer house of horror. Or, you know, the thought of, of drinking blood and eating human flesh. Now, he wasn't talking about them literally doing that. He was using a metaphor to say that his, his flesh and his blood would be given and that we would partake of it. Just, you know, like, for example, when they, when they would sacrifice animals, they would eat of the flesh. He was saying the days of bulls and goats, that's all gone. It's my body now, my flesh now, my blood now. And they didn't know that. How could they know that, really? So they're horrified. He says, my flesh is meat indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He's talking about giving himself for us, the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice on the cross. He that eateth, he kept saying it. You know, I think he was saying it because he wanted to push it home. In a sense, he was provoking them. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Now that's not just talking about communion. Communion is the meal that we take that remembers that and honours that. We're not talking like the Roman Catholics are of transubstantiation. Where when we actually take the, the bread and the wine, it turns into the body and blood. As Protestants, we, we wouldn't accept. As Christians, we wouldn't receive that. Okay? Um, I don't know that every Roman Catholic thinks that way, but it is a Roman Catholic doctrine. Um, but we don't we, we see it as emblematic, that's the word I think. 
uh, as a metaphor, as a symbol. And yet when we take the communion, bread and wine, something happens if we're doing it sincerely. Something of God is imparted to us, something of the Lord in the sense that we, we, we do it for a deeper knowledge of him. That's why we take communion. We don't take it just as a, as a token remembrance meal. We take it because he says that we, we are in him and he's in us. And communion is, is a, a mystical meal that brings that to, to, to reality in our hearts. As the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. But he's talking here, yes, communion's part of this, but what he's really saying here is, is that when we, we get saved, when we get born again, that is us partaking of his atoning sacrifice. That's us partaking of his broken body. That's us partaking of his shed blood. Amen? Communion or not, that's us. We're, we're covenanted people because we're in the new covenant and he says this, the new covenant is in my blood. It is my blood, he says. So this is that bread which came down from heaven, he says, not as your fathers that eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Okay, man is wonderful, but the bread of life that is Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, gives us eternal life. These things said he in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum, where people believe that Jesus actually lived. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying, who can hear it? This is tough. This is no longer, Jesus loves you, this I know. Let's sing a few choruses. This is the rubber meets the road. Amen. This is covenanted lifestyle. This is us responding and saying, we are in you, you're in us, and it's life or death. Okay, it's no longer just let's play church. Let's just you know, roll up, stroll up, and do religious things. This is, we are, we are completely committed. And that's why some of them says, many of them says, Oh, this is this is hard. It's a hard saying. Who can hear this? And what they're saying is, are you are you hearing this? Did, did, does he mean what he says? Because again, they didn't entirely know. We can see it looking backwards what he meant, dying on the cross. But they didn't they didn't see this. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, "Doth this offend you?" And folks, something. Have you ever been to a meeting? or listened, or read a book, and you were offended by what you read or heard. I have. I've been offended. Oh, that's a bit tough. I can think of times when I was offended hearing somebody teaching or preaching. And I said, this is hard stuff, this. Does he really mean that? It's hard to follow God, isn't it? Not all the time. Most of the time it's great. But every now and again you hear something that challenges you and offends you. And let me tell you this, if you're not offended, then get, get another preacher. Amen? Preachers don't get up to offend people, unless it's some of these raving loonies that, you know, want to just shout at everybody. But sometimes your preaching and your teaching should offend. Does this offend you, he says? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit in their life. The word quickeneth means give life. The spirit gives life. Amen. 
the flesh gives nothing. He says, my words are spirit words. My words give life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man could come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Nobody becomes a Christian on a whim. You're either drawn or you're not. Amen? From that time, this is, a, this is where I wanted to go with this. From that time, from this occasion where Jesus, uh, <laughs> Jesus blew up his own ministry, didn't he? Well, I've got the crowds. I've got loads of folks coming. The offerings will be, will be plentiful. Judas, get ready for a windfall because I'm going to say some great things here. They're going to love it. No, no, no. He says, no. When he preached this, it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. If you've ever experienced that, it's not nice. When you say something, when you preach something, when you, that's from God's word, not you know, some crazy wild stuff, cultish stuff. When you preach something from God's word and people say that's too much, and they walk away. And then every preacher worth its salt, every pastor worth its salt has had that experience. You know, it's quite amazing when you, you read some of the, the most famous uh, teachers, preachers, that they've had this experience. That their churches maybe have been decimated. And I know, I know people that have had this happen to them several times. Uh, that, and, and it happened to Jesus. And the disciples not above his Lord. Now I'm not asking or inviting anybody here to say, well, I'm not going back. I'm just saying that sometimes being a Christian um, is about accepting that there's deep things that God will say to us at times that challenge us, that offend us even. And you know, I welcome being challenged. I certainly welcome being offended if, if I'm in the wrong. Okay? And we all should have that heart. And Jesus said to the twelve, will you also go away? Will you, my inner team, my inner team, my inner core, my, my disciples, you know, the, the twelve, because he had a lot of hangers-on, a lot of followers, and of course he had the seventy, and there was, he had multitudes following him, but many of them left because it was no longer happy-clappy. It was no longer, oh yeah, this is great. He's saying things that, oh, I just, I, I resonate with that. I love that. I was, oh yes, he really touched me there. It, it's going deeper. And what separated, what, what I'm trying to say to you here is this, what separated all those hangers-on from his true disciples. A message on the blood. A message on the cross. A message on the sacrifice of... See, we love hearing about the blood. I do. Uh, I think I've shared this. I grew up in a home. Uh, you know, my, my dad's side was all Salvation Army, so my dad was always playing these old blood hymns. Salvation Army, Blood and Fire. You know, and she always had these songs, he's always singing them, um, which is quite ironic. But anyway, but he was always playing these blood hymns. And so I grew up loving them. 
Because I knew the difference between listening to these blood hymns to listening to a whole bunch of other hymns. Like the hymns. But when, when you sing about the blood, there's something, isn't there? There's something exciting. But it's not just singing about the blood. It's not just, oh, the blood, the blood, the blood. Jesus says here to these folks, the blood. You need to drink my blood. You know, you need to be blood drinkers. And all of a sudden, oh, well, that's taking it too far, Lord. You've, you've, you've gone too far. We know what he meant now. They didn't really know, but he was challenging them. And I believe the blood is a challenge to us because it's free to us to receive the benefits, but it wasn't free to the Lord. And folks, it's not even free to us in the sense that when you receive salvation is free, redemption is free, deliverance is free, all the benefits are free, but the cost to us is that we have to lay down our lives for him. Just as he laid down our lives for us. Now, let's turn to Revelation 12. We've used this as a launching pad in the past. We'll look at an extra couple of scriptures and then we'll close this today. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, where it says here, we've looked at this a few times in these studies on the blood. Revelation chapter 12, it says, I, verse 9, sorry, verse 10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren, that's the devil, that's Satan, is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. Satan's job, and he's self-employed by the way. Amen? Satan's self-employed. Nobody's appointed Satan to be the accuser. He did that himself. It's to accuse you and I. All the time, day and night. Okay? He, he's he's, he's a, a legalist. And he, he just doesn't understand that God, every time he comes up with a case against us, God overrules. Objection overruled. That's all he hears. But he's that thick that he won't get the message. Amen? But look what it says. And they, that's you and I, overcame him by the blood of a lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of a lamb, there we are, we overcome, we're victors through the blood, we love it. The word of our testimony. But look at this last little phrase. And they love not their lives unto the death. You see, he gave his blood for us and he expects us to lay down our life for him. You know, that's the whole thing about the covenanters, the martyrs, the reformers. You know, up the top of the street, James Nisbet Street, a man who laid down his life. And I've said this before, he wasn't a leader, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't in the pulpit. He just showed up at some meetings. They caught him there and they, 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 they hung him for it. Now, if coming to this church this morning put you in danger of being hung, would you be here this morning? Amen? That's... See, that's what God's asking of us. Well, we lay, now, we're not all called to be martyrs. We're not all called to, to, to literally give our lives and be beheaded or hung or whatever. But we're supposed to live for him as lay down our lives for him. Amen. Amen. Because he did that for us. So looked at that there, and that's connected with the blood. And then finally, I just want to show you this in 1 John chapter 2. Now, remember that John wrote the Gospel of John, obviously, and he wrote this epistle. I wonder, I do wonder, 
if John had this in mind when he, when he penned this here in 1 John chapter 2, that episode where he was with Jesus and many of his disciples walked away. I trust this morning that no, nobody here will want to walk away, but that we will say, Lord, we're with you all the way. Amen? But it happened, it happened to Jesus. Here in 1 John chapter 2, John says this. He says, uh, let me just, right. verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard, the Antichrist shall come. How many people are hearing of Antichrist is coming? These are the end times, the 666, the man of sin, all of that. You've heard that Antichrist is coming, he says, or shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. There's not just one Antichrist, there are many of them. Amen? So, but look what he says next. And, and people think of the Antichrist, they think of, they've got this exotic idea, the Antichrist is somebody from another religion, another country, another, you know, Away out there, far away across, you know, across the world, Middle East, or something like that. Oh, the Antichrist is coming, and some people say he'll be a Muslim, or he'll be this, or he'll be... yeah, that's what people think. But that's not what the Bible says about Antichrists. Verse nineteen says they went out from us. Antichrist went out from us. They're not out there somewhere in an exotic faraway land. They went out from us. But they were not of us. Now that doesn't mean to say that everybody that leaves the church is an antichrist. That's, he's not saying that. Okay? And, but I wonder if he had in mind that occasion, that time when Jesus was preaching about the blood and they were offended and they walked no more with him. Because a lot of those same people were probably the ones that were wanting to crucify him. And I bet you when they went away, they weren't going, oh, he's a great guy, that Jesus. It's just a pity we couldn't, we couldn't follow through. They're going away saying, he, he's preaching something weird. He's, he's, he's starting a cult here. In order to leave, they had, I believe, probably they had to badmouth Jesus to justify what they were doing. Now watch what it says. He says, they went out from us, this is in First John chapter 2, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. What John is saying between John's Gospel and this 1 John chapter 2 is that not everybody who starts the journey with you is going to end up at the destination with you. Amen. You know, a lot of people came along Jesus, oh, the multitudes, this is great. Oh, I'm part of the Jesus army. I'm part of the Jesus band. I'm a follower of Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, I, I, I'm following that guy. Do you want to come along? But it says there came a point where many of them walked away. And John says, because they weren't all of us. 
So folks, it's a challenge to us today. It's not a condemnation of anybody. It's not saying, you know, um, that if, you know, if somebody used to, used to, they used to come but they're not anymore. They must be anti-Christ. Right? But what I'm saying is this, is that we need to know in our hearts, don't we? That when, when things get a little bit challenging, it's challenging just now to be a Christian. It's challenging just now to be a believer. It's challenging just now. And Jesus says, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and hate you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, you're blessed. It doesn't feel blessed, does it? But the challenge to every person here in this meeting and anybody here in this is this. Are we going to stick with Jesus when they go and get stuff? Are we going to be people who say, I'll eat your flesh, I'll drink your blood, I'm all in. No matter how I don't understand what you're saying, Lord, because a lot of times, you ever hear preaching you don't understand? Don't say uh, my preaching. Amen. The challenge is that are we going to be God's people or are we going to be People that just, well, I once, I once walked with Jesus, but it got too tough. Amen? I, I believe for every one of us here, we will say, well, no matter how tough it goes, I pray that God will hold me. Uh, and in that old chorus, Abba Father, let me be yours and yours alone. We used to sing that uh, to the Lord to say that we didn't, we didn't want out. Amen? We don't want out, do we? We want to be in the family of God and never leave. But we don't want to leave because it's too tough. Anyway, that's the message for today. The Lord bless you folks.